guys who are new with us, we have outlines for you in your little packet that you got when you came in, so you can take notes and follow along. I try to make it as accessible to you as possible. If you don't have a Bible, you can go out to the blue tent, they'll give you one. I tend to use the NIV in here, so they'll give you an NIV one, it's free, and then you can use it throughout your week. We're in a series called, what? Pray. Just thought I'd clarify that in case you missed it. Pray, you know, trusting God when your life is a mess, when it's been one of those weeks. Let's do this. How many of you, this has been one of those weeks? Raise your hands up. I have good friends all around the room. It's been one of those weeks. Even in our team, in our staff team, like, I don't know if this got mentioned yet, but uh, so Danny Bias, who's our campus director, his wife's dad almost died several times this week. He's older, and he's got a lot of physical issues, but now they, may, they think he may have leukemia, and so there's just a lot of drama happening there. So they were gone all week, and then Eddie who's our, uh, on our team with students and hospitality. How many of you know Eddie? Eddie Staggs, okay. Eddie and Angela is his wife. Anyway, he got this weird thing, and it's, I, guess, I asked uh, a uh, nurse practitioner in last service, it's from working out too hard. I didn't know this could happen, but apparently you pr your body will produce a protein or an enzyme or something like that, and it eats your muscles. So it, it's very painful. Eddie said it was the most painful thing he personally has ever experienced. Uh, in fact, if you could write that down, write down the biases, dad and uh, Eddie Staggs is his last name. I'd just encourage you to be praying for him. It, it just, you know, those kinds of things tend to make everything. So, you know, we had to uh, like fill in the spaces. Like Matt is doing a great job. He's a master chief. He's ministering to our middles today. And he's a giant. Matt's a big dude. <laughs> anyway, so lots of us are in that place where, you know, we are dealing with hurting and, and difficulty and challenge. And this morning, we're going to look at a very, very famous cave in the Bible. Uh, go with me, by the way. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 22. Uh, we'll, we're going to look at a very famous cave, the cave of Adulam, and uh, we're going to look at what happens with David there. This series is about David in the time of his life where he's kind of in crisis. He's running from uh, Saul, and in this case, because just in the last chapter, he's running from the Philistines. He's like running from everybody, <laughs> which is kind of like the story of our lives sometimes. Feels like we're running from everybody, <laughs> but these, they're all after him and everything, and he goes and escapes and retreats to this cave called Adulam. Uh, and I wanted to show you a picture of one of the most famous caves in the world, uh, clearly one of the most famous caves in the world. This is a picture of my wife and I in front of Jesus' tomb where he was buried, his cave where he was. Uh, we were, this is 2011. I had a lot more hair then, but in, in, this is from 2011. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, we're going back there this October. So we'll be in this cave again. And it's, a, it's amazing to go inside of the tomb where Jesus was buried. There's something I don't know what to call it other than profoundly spiritual about being in the place where Jesus was. Uh, and anyway, so we're really looking forward to it and going back there again. And, but caves can become a holy place. They can become a sacred space. And we'll talk, talk about this as we go along. And what we need to remember when we're feeling overwhelmed. And overwhelm is kind of a normal thing in life. Earlier when I had you raise your hands, you know, about a third to a fourth of you raise your hands, and that's normal. 
And the only difference between those who are raising their hands and those who aren't is what? Yeah, two weeks, if you're lucky. <laughs> you know, depends. Depends on your stage of life. Um, my son Ryan and Melanie uh, are potty training the twin girls. They have twin, uh, less than three-year-old girls. And yesterday, both girls went on their potty chairs, uh, at, you know, like not at once, but like almost, you know, because when one twin goes, then the other one goes. It's like a weird thing with twins. Um, but so they're under a lot of overwhelm. Like, how many of you have ever potty trained a kid? Okay, well, you know, you get, it's a mission. You are on a mission. Now, part of it's, you know, you know just normal that you want to, teach your kids, hopefully, to potty train. But, uh, but then, you know, twins, I mean, imagine their pamper bill, man. That's like, that's like a lot of money. So, but they both, I'd show you a video. I actually have it on video, but it would be totally inappropriate. But anyway, <laughs> but so they're, they're, they're feeling overwhelmed, uh, as is David in this scenario. If you recall from weeks past, he's somewhere between 15 and, well, 15 and 30. He becomes king in part at 30 king in a full sense of the term at 33, where some years before then, we're not sure exactly where to peg his age, but he's young, he's learning the things of God, he's learning how to walk by faith, he's learning how to be a mighty man of God like you guys are, and, and so you're, you know, you're, you're in this journey, he's in this journey, and it's an amazing story. Let's read a bit of it. He's running from the Philistines specifically, but Saul as well, and he leaves Gath, notice in verse 1, he leaves Gath. And then he goes to the cave of Adjulam. Everybody say that word, Adjulam. It's a cool word. Uh, it means refuge, by the way. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. It's kind of cool if you tie together names of places and what God is doing. So it becomes a holy space for him and a holy place. And so he, go, he leaves Gath, goes to um, the cave of Adjulam. And, when, and then it says, look, look at verse uh, whatever it is. It's not two yet. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, uh, they went down to him there. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. The reason that they're going down to him, I taught you last week, those of you who were here last week, I taught you that when a king is threatened by another tribe or clan or family line, especially in the case of Saul and David, in context in the ancient world, Saul would seek to kill, murder, annihilate the entire family of David so as to circumvent, uh, the in his mind, the treasonous act. It's complicated in Saul's kind of psychological makeup because he has been a follower of Yahweh, the name of God, and one of the names of God in the Old Testament. He's been a follower of Yahweh and committed to Yahwehism, but he has kind of backed away from that and, and crashed and burned spiritually. And so now he's in rebellion against God. So he would definitely, it's conceivable that he would try to kill David's family. So there's a couple of dynamics involved in this verse where it says his mom and dad and family go to him in the cave of Adjulam, okay? So that's all, again, you wouldn't know this unless you got dug deep inside of it, but that's, that's the reality of, of what's happening. Uh, and then notice, this is a, how many of you uh, lead people for a living? Like you are a team leader? Raise your hands if you're a team leader, okay? Check this out, check this out. So, so who else goes to him in the cave of Adjulam? So look at what it says. It says, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented 
gathered around him, and he became their leader. Holy cow, talk about a leadership challenge. And there's like 400 of them. So he gets 400 guys who are broke, bummed, mad, frustrated, whatever. But the, the cool thing is, is this group of 400 men becomes the seedling and the greenhouse that produces later on in the biblical record what are called David's mighty men. They come out of this group. One of those guys, he ultimately he becomes an incredible warrior. They all become incredible warriors. But some of them are standouts. One guy kills 600 men in a single battle. And he also kills an Egyptian giant. So these are the guys that come out of here. You can Google uh, David's mighty men, and there'll be a whole bunch of stuff. It's rather interesting. But here they are, the motley crew. Sounds like you. Sounds like your life group. Sounds like the people you're pouring into sometimes. From, now, from there, David goes to Mizpah in Moab and speaks to the king of Moab. Okay, now this would be really dangerous, potentially dumb, okay, unless you know the background. David's great-grandmother is a woman named Ruth. There's a book in the Old Testament named Ruth. It's her story. He, she meets a Jewish man, an Israelite. What's his name? Boaz. And she marries Boaz. And so, again, David's concerned for his family getting annihilated, so he goes to the king of Moab, which is part of his ancestry, but dangerous to be sure, but asks the king, notice, he's, look what he asks. Look at your Bibles. It says he asks the king if he'll take care of his mom and dad until, and I have this underlined in my Bible. I would encourage you to underline this in your Bible. By the way, some of you, that's freaky to you. You don't think you can underline in the Bible. It's like if you underline in it, it's like you're defiling it. Your Bible is paper. It is the word of God to you, but it is a book in the sense that it's to be studied, dog-eared, you know, like whatever, take notes. I have notes all over in my Bible, so it's okay to do that, all right? But I would encourage you to underline that line until I figure out what God's doing, until I figure out what God's up to, until I learn what God will do for me. Verse 4, so he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. That's the cave of Ajalam. The cave becomes this major place of David's development with his mighty men. They would train there. If you could think of a gladiator kind of environment, if you guys watch those kind of movies, you know, with gladiators, whatever. So it becomes this place where they train, train, train all the time. And that's where they become the mighty men. Then they, then they are kind of like our SEAL teams. They go out and do ops, you know, like special ops. Uh, as well as entire campaigns at times. Um, but there's only 400 of them right here. Uh, so anyway, it becomes a stronghold. And then verse 5, just this last verse in this story. But the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Go to Judah, which is where David's from. David's from the tribe of Judah. So he says, go to, go to Judah. And, and, uh, and so David goes to Judah, which would be crazy. Saul would know David goes to Judah. Plus, the cave at Adjulam is, uh, you know, somewhat defensible. It's an archaeological tell today, so it, it's strategically set up. So, but he listens to the prophet. He listens to God and does it even though it's kind of maybe cray-cray, okay? So, so, which is very important. We'll get to that eventually. But sometimes flight can lead us to a place of safety. That's what goes in the blanks on your outline. 
fly, fleeing. This weekend, is, last weekend was fear. This is flight. Uh, next weekend is fight. We'll talk about fighting, which is one of my favorite subjects. Um, but sometimes flight can lead us to a place of, of safety. Like, for example, I want this room to always be a place of safety for you. Like, wherever, whenever, and me, I mean, that you can always come in here, no matter what the drama has been of your last week, month, year, I don't care. This is like a no-shame zone. This is a place you can come to, no matter what your life circumstances are, and hear from God, experience Him, have Him continue the process of healing you from the inside out. And so I, I like to think of this as the, the worship experience on the weekend, which is why it's so important for you guys to, to you know, begin your week with worship, right? Because it's like a discipline, and, and it's a place of safety where you can come in with whoever you are, and you can kind of escape here, okay? Because it's, it's, this is what David's doing. He's running from the people that are trying to kill him to a safe place. And they have times of worship. Remember, one of David's major things is a worship leader. Like David is Marcus. <laughs> That's his primary jam. And he's a writer. We'll, we'll go to one of the songs uh, later on. But th this is what he's doing. He's escaping. Escape is good there. Now, here I'm using it pejoratively, okay? So I'm flipping it. There is a difference between retreating and escaping. By escaping, I mean the way we commonly use it in our vernacular in American context. Like, you know, when we escape, it can usually be a, a danger zone. We drink too much. We, uh, you know, whatever. We somehow medicate the drama of our life. Which is why, by the way, I have my vice. Popcorn. I love popcorn. Anybody knows me well knows I love popcorn. Now, this is a low-grade popcorn. This is Orville Redenbacher. I used to think this was the bomb until somebody turned me on to Amish popcorn. If you, how many of you like popcorn? Okay, you need to write that down. <laughs> Amish, like A-M-I-S-H. Like, you know, the Amish. How many of you know who the Amish are? Okay, you guys were giving me this confused look for a second. They still exist, okay? And they make the best popcorn, in my opinion, in the world. Now, I am happy to be proven wrong, in which case you could buy some of the stuff you think's better and give it to me. I'd be happy to <laughs> sample it for you and take that load off of your back. But I can eat too much popcorn, because as I often say, popcorn is my butter delivery system. Uh, it is the popcorn, but it's also the butter. It's the salt. It's got to be the right deal. Uh, and I love it. But I can sometimes eat too much of it. So I have to be careful with it. Too much popcorn will kill you. But it is from God. <laughs> like all things in creation, God gave us everything. Sex, popcorn, wine. He gave us everything. He said, enjoy yourselves. With some of us, that's an issue, right? We're broken, so we struggle with the balance of things, which is why we have celebrate recovery and all the things that we have as a church to minister and care for each other in our brokenness. And, and anyway, we have, but, but retreating. I really feel like you and I need to retreat more. Um, last year, I was talking with my oldest son, Michael, about his life and whatever. And uh, he knew I'd been to the Holy Land many times. 
And so we talked about the Holy Land. And so last Christmas, he took his family to the Holy Land for Christmas. And this is a picture of his wife, Nikki, and Abby. And they're right outside of the Western Wall, which is also known as the Wailing Wall, which is the place where the Israelites go and pray, the Jews go and pray today, and weep, if you will, over the Temple Mount, because the Temple Mount is under Islamic control, and they have no temple. So from a Jewish perspective, obviously, this is very complicated. But when I go there, it's super spiritual. I mean, it's like crazy. It's weird how powerful this space is. It's like a place where millions and millions of prayers have been said. And the cracks that are in the big giant stones, if you got close to them, uh, I had a picture and I couldn't find it, but I had a, I have a, I'll take one in October. I have a picture of a close-up of the wall. And I want to say Teresa's and my hands are on the wall, but we had just put a little pieces of paper, because that's what you do, you write the prayer request out and you put them in those cracks. And last time I was there, I prayed for you all, right? And I prayed for my family, I prayed for everything. But, but anyway, this is that. I, I feel like you guys need to retreat more and we need to retreat more. We need to kind of take downtime and, and take places of space and make them, make them holy, holy space. And, and I don't know, where might you need to retreat? Like, this is why I encourage you, I believe and Jesus taught it, he modeled it, but Jesus daily had a time with his dad, with his father, with God. He spent a time, we call it devotions. Every, every day Jesus spent time in prayer. He obviously had reams of scripture memorized, so he would meditate upon scripture, and, he, and this was a value of his, and he models it all through the gospels. And I would just encourage you, you need to develop a daily devotional life, a daily retreat. And if you think about the fruit of the Spirit, like in Galatians, it lists these qualities of a Christ-like life, one that is Spirit-filled, okay? And, and he, he lists a bunch of fruit. Let, let's name them. Those of you who know this, this passage, what are the, what's, what, what's the first one? Love, then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and yeah, the translations vary a little bit here, but gentleness and self-control. Now, maybe it's just me. I'll just, I'll just be honest. Okay, the degree to which I have a quality devotional time in the morning, and it's somewhat related to quantity, but quality. So I go through my days, because my day, every day is, a, is meetings. I'm in meetings like every day of my life. All day, that's what I do. I meet with people and different teams and, you know, sometimes there's squabbling and, you know, fighting. They hit each, no, they don't hit. <laughs> but whatever, like, I, I'm just meetings all the time. And so I find that my fruit dries up just in the course of a day. And I have to be aware of it. Like kindness, gentleness. Because I'm the lead pastor. So you have to lead, and sometimes the children don't hear, and so you can become unkind and not very self-controlled, and you get that look on your face, and you, don't, you quit listening, you quit paying attention to what the Spirit of God's doing in the meeting, and you start to get this thing, and you can blow it up, and that's how you corrupt the culture of a team. And so my devotional life is directly in relationship, for example, to my patients. Like how many of you have potty trained a kid? Okay. Welcome to team leadership. So, so you know, you got you to gotta be prayed up in order to show up. 
You, gotta, you have to be prayed up in order to show up and then deliver up. And that's what retreating is about. And then building holy places and holy spaces. I talk about the, the OB Pier, which is one of Teresa's and my favorite holy places. Longest pier on the West Coast. We do prayer walks. Somebody asked me last night after the service, Pastor Mike, can you tell me exactly how you do a prayer walk? I don't have time to do it all, but we literally walk and pray out loud. We'll pray in, our, in, uh, in the spirit sometimes as well. Uh, now, we're cognizant of people around us, and so, so you, know, you know, it's like if we're coming up on people, I, I, don't, I don't obviously keep praying too loud for you. Um, you know, they wouldn't know you, but whatever. I, I just, you know, wouldn't do it. Oh, and God, please work more with Tim. He really needs you right now, <laughs> Jesus. I, I don't do it like that. But we literally pray out loud. It's totally spirit-led. There's no agenda. We don't keep a list in that time. We have prayer lists and stuff, but not the prayer walks. So, but I would just encourage you to develop this. I was talking with um, a gal earlier who just got an incredible promotion to being a CFO. Unfortunately, it's in Virginia. Bummer. Anyway, but she lives in Portofino. Portofino's a holy place. I lived in Portofino, which is right across the street. I lived there for 14 years. We raised the boys there. I have prayed every inch of Portofino. I've prayed over every all 623 homes, I think it is, many, many times. So developing retreat environments where you lean into safety and God and rest. This is what you all need. We all need this. Because look, hurried can become a sickness of your soul. We're all busy. There's a huge difference in my life between hurried and busy. Busy, I mean, you all control your time. You, you realize this, right? Like, I know you think your kids control your time, <laughs> but you control your time. And you do realize that no one of you has more time than anyone else. That's impossible. That's a crazy-making belief. I wish I had more time. That's a crazy statement. That's cray-cray. Think about it. I wish I had more time. Well, you never will. <coughs> and you don't, <coughs> and you have to control your time, which gets back to the fruit of the Spirit called self-control and about Spirit-led leadership. So if you're not praying through your schedule, I dare say I would suggest to you that you're really not leading like Jesus because you have to pray through your schedule so you're actually doing the will of God. How is it that Jesus, at the point of his death, says it is finished? Did he do everything that could have been done in a life? He died arguably at 33. What did he mean? I did what the Father wanted. That's our life. That's what we do. It's about not being hurried in our busyness. And then being strategic when we retreat. Being strategic when you retreat, which you know I've been talking about, but here it's like allowing others to meet you where you are. Now I've told you and I've explained to you the dynamics of his family. Why would his family go to him? But David allows it. I would guess that for David, this is a time of shame. You know, the Samuel, the prophets showed up. Remember the whole deal with Jesse, his dad, and, you know, not this kid, not this kid, not this kid. You got any kids left? Oh, I got the runt of the litter. He's out there with the sheep. And so David comes, and Samuel anoints him, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, there's a lot of family dynamics. Think of his brothers. 
There's a lot of family dynamics, but David allows them in. This is what you need to do in your lives. Allow people in. This is why we do life groups. This is, this is how we do it as a church. We let others meet us where we're at. This is the deal. And you want to build this, by the way, this is a family system. I would encourage you, how many of you have kids uh, in like high school down? You have kids, you know, like under high school, you know, under 18. Raise my pie, I just want to see for a second. Okay, so most of you. All right, if you could, if I could paint a little vision, uh, have a vision so that when, uh, okay, in America, there is a thing in our culture, it's totally not biblical, but there's a thing in our culture that we raise them until they're 18. And then we even use language. We say, then they're on their own. Listen to me, kids are never on their own. Where are the dads and the grandpas? Where are the great grandpas? Kids, you don't raise them for 18 years. And it's really crazy because uh, a lot of times, and I see it happen, and, and there's good things to this. I'm just saying there's an obvious danger to this. I see parents who have this thing, I'm going to raise my kids until they're 18, and then they send them off to college. And then they're like, peace out. Woohoo, we get to do whatever we want. Well, and then what happens to that kid at that college? All kinds of cray cray, okay? <laughs> and part of it is this this kind of vision piece. So I want you to, ca I want to cast vision in you so that you see your role as parents and grandparents really until you're dead, and even then you're going to go to heaven. And, and by the way, if you don't have kids, you are in a church. We are, by definition, biblically speaking, a family. So families help each other raise kids. That's what we do. So I don't care if you're single or married or kids or no kids. We all own this responsibility. And I want you to see that you want to raise kids so that when they're grown, they still come to you. Even if they move away, they still call you when they're in trouble and when they're hurting. Uh, my daughter, Rain, uh, she uh, was an engineer in the, she was a uh, nuke in the Navy, got out, went to work for Harris Corporation. She built, she built uh, satellites for many years. And she now is in the planning of it. Anyway, she called me yesterday on the phone. <laughs> we have this joke. Uh, when I call her, she goes, oh, you must be driving? because I, I use my drive time, uh, you know. Anyway, so I, sh she called me. I go, oh, are you driving? <laughs> she goes, yeah, I am. And I go, what's going on? She goes, well, you know, I've been doing this project, which I knew, and she's been working 80-hour weeks for six weeks, which is not all that abnormal in a real world, but whatever, it's a lot of strain. So I said, well, what's going on? And she goes, well, we've been using Microsoft Project, and all of the lines, all of the data, got corrupted. Now, this is a huge project, okay? And it's due to the vendor on Tuesday. And she, you know, she called me because she knew I'd talk to Teresa, and, and then we'd pray for her. Um, you know, and I haven't done, you know me, I haven't done parenting perfect by a long shot, but I got a few things pretty good. <laughs> and, and that's one of them. And stay close to them. And surround yourself with people where there's going to be this mutual encouragement. The, 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 I know they're the motley crew, but they become the mighty men of God. This 400 becomes the capstone, the cornerstone of his army when he becomes the king. Now, they're a motley crew, kind of like life groups, right? Uh, like at first, you know, life groups can be messy, right? And then they gel, usually around crisis, by the way. Now, in Newbreak, we have a kind of a discipleship life group that new people go through. It's called Discover Your Pathway. I have a young man named Corey who's going to come up here. Give him a hand as he comes up. He's going to come up and share his journey. 
we, you often can refer, hear it referred to as DYP, okay? DYP, discover your pathway. Thanks for doing this again, Corey. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so honor. share with them what so, happened. So discovering your pathway um, was one of the first life groups I've taken here. Um, to be quite honest, I, I didn't know if I was ready to join a life group, and quite honestly, I didn't know if I'd even be comfortable in a life group. But I, I have to give credit to my lovely wife, Chelsea. Unfortunately, she's not here right now. But she really inspired me and pushed me to get out there. She'd been active with life groups in the past, and uh, she, she really was a good source of encouragement. So anyways, through discovering your pathway, um, it really gave me a chance to meet friends within the church and be part of a team and get a sense of belonging within the life group where others around me could inspire me and encourage me. Um, in taking this life group, it was eight weeks long. At the end of it, I reached out to Pastor Danny, who taught the class, and I was like, you know, every weekend I've been coming to New Break, and I could feel God tugging in my heart, wanting me to be someone more than just a body in a seat. And, uh, you know, through this— A body in a seat. You mean like just coming to church and not serving or exactly. involved in a life group? Is yes, that what exactly. you're saying? Uh, I just wanted to be clear, just crystal— clear this may be your next step dyp to, to add on to what pastor mike is saying i would go further to say i've i've been at new break for almost five years and i you know i've been nothing more than just maybe a recognizable face and uh after taking this course you know i you know i got past my fear of you know i'm not christian enough or i'm too <laughs> broken i love that or it, you know i really didn't know if i had anything to offer this church i didn't know how it could benefit others but this course really gave me a sense of direction and a purpose to where I, I realized God could use the time, the talent, the treasure, and the testimony I do have to benefit others and to glorify his name. And after the course, I was like, you know, if there's a spot for me, I'd love to get started and uh, just start serving with student ministries with, with <laughs> Pastor Marcus and uh, Pastor Eddie. That's cool. Yeah, it was, it was an awesome opportunity. I'd actually encourage anyone out there that maybe has the same fears I experienced or shares some of the same thoughts I've had to really give it a chance. Yeah, well, great job. Thanks so much, Corey, for doing it all weekend. It's amazing. And then, you know, the overwhelming circumstances, refuse to let them incapacitate you. We all deal with this. The, you know, we're all at times on overwhelm, but... Don't let it incapacitate you. This is what David does for his folks. He need, even though he's overwhelmed, he still has to take care of his family and everything. And he does a spectacular job of this, a very courageous step. And, and that's the deal. Like, who in your life is relying on you to show up even when you want to give up? Because that's you oftentimes, right? You want to give up. You want to quit. But there are people that are collateral damage. In your life right now, there are people... In your life, every one of you, there's no exception to this, that are spiritually at risk depending upon how you do as a Christ follower. This is always the way it is. The lie from the pit, we'll talk a little bit about this next week, but the lie from Satan is that you don't matter and that there, if you just check out, there won't be any drama. So you check out. And by the way, the rest of us live in the wake The rest of us, if we're godly, we'll pick up the scraps. We'll pick up the trash. But the wake is behind you. All you're doing is looking ahead. You don't see what happens behind you. 
This is the story of many of our lives. This is why you need life groups, okay? So I'm going to ask Veronica to come up here and talk with you a little bit, because they launch in like, when do they launch? 26th. The 26th yeah. of August. Yes, yeah? yes, coming up, three and this weeks. this is August, you right? Yes, yeah. it's going to be great. We're, getting, we're bringing it out now so everybody can yeah, get yeah, ready, because yeah. we're so busy. We need to like check our calendars and mark our dates and, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> put it on. Tell them about ready. the leadership training <laughs> event, which is this Wednesday, right? Yes, this Wednesday, August 7th, from 7 to 8.30, Nobody walks through leadership alone. We train you, and we, we're there with you every step of the way. And it's for our people who might be, like Corey had mentioned, God starts pulling on your heart to get involved. Maybe you want to be a host home leader, which are people that open their homes to have life groups meet there, and all you have to do is have a smile and maybe make some coffee and welcome, making them feel comfortable um, for our new uh, leaders to get yeah. their training, for our current leaders for continued training and coaches who help our leaders. So we're always working together. We're kind of a life group within a life yeah, group. Yeah, no, it's, it's really true. amazing. Yeah, the leadership is <laughs> a key component to it. And it may be that, God, I don't know, it could be God's will for you in terms of your leadership pathway that, you know, you become a host home or, or you just go to a life group, but then God will work in you and then you become a co-leader. You begin sharing the responsibility and then you'll launch as a life group leader because our process is, is uh, like Jesus, all right? So come and kind of watch me do it, then come and I'll let you do parts of it, and then come and I'll let you do more parts of it, then I'll watch you and I'll help you, and then I'll launch you so then you can multiply, right? Because the will of God is to multiply perfect, always. Perfect, yeah. I love what Corey said about all those things that can hold us back, such a lie, and that is definitely what I was feeling like when I first joined and a lot of people will express, and so um, he stepped through it. It's baby steps, just one little step at a time, mm -hmm. you know, check it out. You can go online at newbreak.church and sign up for groups. You can come out to the tent. We'll talk to you more about that. Next week, we'll have the directories. Next week, we'll have the directories. There's, we have like 56 groups, and about 40 of them are going to be open. That's on this campus. On this campus, That's yes. That's awesome. Thank you, That's Veronica. Great. Give her a hand. She works very hard serving you guys. Now, look, it really comes down to this, which is keeping your heart open to God. This is where it really, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Verse 5, the prophet. What's the prophet's name? Gad. So the prophet Gad comes to David, tells him to take a step of faith. This is where you're at, steps of faith. And so he does it, which is really amazing. And it's, and it's all because he wants, he David has this thing in him that he wants God to work in him and through him. Uh, he, he just wants this to happen. Now, I know this from a lot of places in the scriptures, okay? But I want to take you to this psalm. It's in your outline. It's Psalm 142, okay? Go to Psalm 142. Notice the title of the psalm. It's always good to write, uh, notice the little titles that are in there. So it says it's a maskeel. Uh, psalm 142 is a maskeel, which is a musical. Remember, he's, a, he's, a worship, he's Marcus. He's a worship leader. So he, that's why they no doubt had sick times of worship in the cave. Have you ever worshipped in a large bathroom? Oh, you sound so much better. <laughs> anyway, uh, so... so He's a songwriter. He's a worship leader. Notice in the title, it says it's a, a psalm written from the cave. And so there's a lot of cool things to it. By the way, people ask me all the time, Pastor Mike, can you teach me how to pray? So I like to do it like this. Like, you can literally pray Psalm 142 as a guideline for prayer. Just pray it. Look what David writes. Now, it's a prayer. It's a song. 
Uh, it, uh, by the way, it's in the group of psalms called the Psalms of Lament. You can Google that um, and look it up. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a lament, which means it's kind of a complaint. We'll talk about that. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him, and I tell him my troubles. I have that underlined. I tell him my troubles. That's what prayer can be. Now, you've got to read the whole thing. If you stop there, you'd get in trouble. Any verse almost in the Bible, if you stop there and just believe that out of context, it can get you into trouble, okay? <laughs> Trying to help you. <laughs> now, some of you are, and me, verse 3, when my spirit grows, grows faint within me. That's some of you right now. We'll pray about it in a minute. Your spirit's faint within you. But look at what he says. He makes a declaration. So, so prayers always have these declarations. So he says, it's you who know my way, right? It's you, God, who know my way. In the path where I walk, the men have hidden a snare for me. Now he's I, both talking here about the Philistines as well as the um, Saul and many of the Israelites, okay? The men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. A bit of an overstatement. He's got 400. They're a motley crew, but whatever. I ha you know how that you do that in your prayer, right? You know, it's okay to exaggerate a little bit with God, okay? So, I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. I have that underlined. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So, he makes a declaration of faith in his fear as he's fleeing. He writes and he says this. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Let's say that out loud. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. It's a This is why in worship, you're declaring the promises of God. You're declaring who God is. Why? Does God have ego needs? Is he insecure? And he needs somebody, please, to tell him how awesome he is. No. That's not why he wants you to worship. He knows that when you get in alignment around him, your life makes sense. He does not have ego needs. We do. <laughs> we need people to tell us, I love your hair, Pastor Mike, whatever. We need people to encourage us and tell us and all that stuff. God doesn't have that need. He's self-existing. He, but he knows that when you do this with him, your life aligns. That's the power in the psalm. So you pray this way. Then he says in verse 6, listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who are pursuing me, for they are too strong for me. Set, I love this verse, set me free from my prison. Now stop for a second. We tend to stop there. We want to be set free from our prison so we'll be happy. That can never be the why. That can never be the reason. As long as that's the reason, in fact, God will have you stuck in that place because he, he's after a lesson. He's after your heart. He says, David says the why. This is the why of our lives. What's the why of your life? What's the, ultimately the purpose behind your life? It's in the next line. Set me free from my prison so that... I may praise your name forever. He says it a lot of different ways in a lot of different psalms. 
so that, not so that I can be happy. Happiness, listen to me, super important. Happiness is a byproduct. When you align your life with God, happiness is called joy. The joy, the fruit of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord is your strength only when your life aligns with God. Otherwise, whatever you're doing is actually simply another addictive enterprise. It, it is simply some other kind of medication. But you're not walking as a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. When you walk as a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, your whole life reflects it. Everything begins to shift in your life. When you, like core, you get involved in serving, you get involved in life group, you start having your devotions, you start with your generosity journey, everything starts to pivot. And that's where the power is. Look, when you don't have your purpose together, then you will have no sense, really, of a drive for purity. When you have people, when you get it that people are in your wake, you will try to be more like Jesus because they need you to show up. When you, it's, it's natural with kids, obviously. Like, you, don't, you know, when you have a kid, it changes your whole life. You just die for that kid now. You want to be pure. You got to pray now. My goodness, you got to be a man of God now. <laughs> you know, and then that's where the power is. Look, purpose results in purity, which results in power always. That's the power. But it's about purpose. It's about alignment. And then just the last line. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Now years pass. Years pass between the writing of this psalm. Years. And David's life. But that's because he's honest with God. He's confessional. He's dependent. But it's all about living a life so that the praises of God happen. The way of God. The, when Jesus taught, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He says, pray like this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this is. That's what your life is about. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just pray for a minute about this. Let's make this place a little bit of a retreat right now.